This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the Coast and Country download from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country with me, Helen Mark. Describe the scene that spreads around us, Rachel. Well, Old Oswestry Hill Fort is one of the most important monuments in England for the Iron Age before the Romans came. And it's an absolutely stunning monument. It's very well visited, and that's largely because of the character of the monument itself. And what is that character? I think a lot of it has to do with this stunning western entrance. So it's the size of the ramparts, the scale of these western entrance ramparts is quite unique, really. And I think that's part of what draws people here to this site. It is the Stonehenge of the Iron Age. It's that important. Well, for this week's Open Country, Rachel, I'd love to discover more about this Iron Age hill fort. It sits just on the edge of Oswestry. We are in North Shropshire and we're looking out, um, once we get to the top, uh, across the Welsh borderlands. Yes. And in a way, there is a modern day drama happening in this landscape, a dispute between the preservation of our historic sites and the growing need for new housing in the area. So where I stand now with Rachel Pope, you're a senior lecturer in European prehistory, University of Liverpool. Let's first of all find out a little bit more about this Iron Age hill fort. So come on, let's get to the top. Okay. So you get a wonderful sense as you get to the top about this multi-layer of ramparts that lead up to the summit. Yes, it's all about show, isn't it? It's all about display. A bit like a, if you think about a sort of lecture hall, you know, being a lecturer, I'm often in those, and you, you, you sort of see that sort of stepping down and that facing out into the landscape, showing off this hill fort and the people who live inside it. So when was it constructed and why here? Well, the story goes way back, even before the Iron Age, into uh, the end of the Bronze Age period, so about 1000 BC. And we have a little settlement here, nothing too large. It would be in this area here, a palisaded enclosure. And you're just gesturing around the top plateau here? Yes, just this little corner. Probably a couple of roundhouses, um, evidence for metalworking going on here. So a small community right on the top of this hill, which is a bit odd. They do quite odd things at the end of the Bronze Age. And it's not for perhaps another few hundred years, about 700 BC probably, that we start to see the construction of the hill fort itself. And Old Oswestry's always been a bit odd because typically hill forts start sort of quite small, about two or three hectares and there's not much to show for them. It's just a sort of bank and ditch, a bit of an enclosure to mark a spot. Here, it's already eight hectares in the early Iron Age. So it's already enormous compared to what's going on in southern England. And somehow, Old Oswestry continues that 
odd character and sort of grows into this beast up to about 400 BC. And this is when we get this sort of accumulation of additional ramparts and ditches. It's called a hill fort and it has what you might consider to be defensive ramparts. So was it a place that had to be defended against other parts of the tribal societies of the time? Well, that's how we've inherited the story of Hillforts, this idea of a, a tribal society, and, of course, that comes to us from Rome. Actually, what we're dealing with here, the, the origins of Hillforts seem to be about agriculture and about bringing people together from across a wider landscape, a bit like agricultural shows today. So it's a place where you come in the summer, you bring your animals, you bring your kids, you meet your cousins and your cousins' cousins and you all have a bit of a party and you all get together, do craft working, you know, pool labour, pool resources and pool ideas. So it's the first time when you start to get that sort of communal structure coming together. Now, by the time that these people have done all this kind of show of, of the 4th century BC and we get down towards... Rome and meeting with Romans, then yes, it becomes about defence. And how long was it in use, uh, that human habitation, that life and society on the top of the hill? Well, we've got a sequence through from probably about 700 BC here until probably the first century BC, I would say. It's a little difficult to say because it was excavated in the 1930s, so we didn't have radiocarbon dating but it was excavated relatively well for that time. But it's, it's long-lived, it's ridiculously large, it's ridiculously showy, and this is obviously pulling people in from incredibly long distances. So it is not a solitary mound. It is part of a much wider prehistory landscape, but a landscape that was worked and farmed and lived in. Absolutely. And in a way, this was a hub. Yes, mm. absolutely. Mm. What we've got from those 1930s excavations are some particular type of ceramic, particular type of pottery, that comes from Wiltshire. So we've got people travelling very long distances to this monument or who are already connected, whether by kin or simply by travel, to people from very, very far away. So it's not just about this monument sort of plonked in this particular bit of landscape here. This is something that has been built to look out across the country, but also that's to be seen from outside, looking back to it. Yeah. And that's what Hillforts are about. I've come down the western edge of the Hillfort into the, the lay-by and I've, I've purposely come to this um, slightly unhistoric spot in a way because this is where I'm meeting Professor George Nash and George you're at the University of Bristol and your specialism is in prehistoric art and landscape so why arrange to meet in the car park of all places when we've got this magnificent hill fort? It seems a very good place to start really because we actually found a piece of rock art here which was a large stone measuring about a metre by a metre and a half and on that stone were a series of score marks, plough marks, which had been created by the plough going over the rock when it was flat down in a field, maybe. But underneath those uh, score marks was a bas-relief engraving of a horse. 
And a bas relief engraving, what does that mean? That means that the shape of the horse has been shaped out of the rock. Rather than being engraved into the rock, it's been shaped out of the rock. And when does this date back to then? Good question. <laughs> because of its rare rarity, I suspect that it could be an Iron Age shrine, so it probably has an association with this hill fort. And why do you think it was a horse of all the creatures that they might have depicted? Because, certainly in the Iron Age, the commodities weren't money. It was, it was a little bit of metal, but the most important commodities were cattle and horses. And within the archaeological record, you see an awful lot of horses and cattle being depicted on various different types of artefact. And, and where is that stone now that was found here? The stone um, is now in Ossetry Museum. And how significant is that stone and its find here? at the foot of the, of the hill for it. I think what is remarkable is that, first of all, it's very, very rare to find a bas-relief engraving of anything. Uh, more importantly, to find a bas-relief engraving of a horse, it's probably the only one of only two or three within this part of Western Britain. So to find this was, uh, was amazing and left me ecstatic. It's quite a busy little car park, this, because people are coming and going, they take their dogs out, they go up the hill fort for a, a walk in the, the spring sunshine. It's lovely. So this is a very good rendezvous point, and it's where we've arranged to meet John Wayne, who you live in Oswestry. That's it, yeah. And you run the Oswestry Literary Festival. That's correct, yeah. And there is a special uh, connection with one of our great poets and this hill fort. So if it's all right, well... We'll ascend to the top of the hill fort again. Uh, oh. George, will you join us? I'll join you, yes. Yep. Marvellous. Let's go. This is Storm by Wilfred Owen. His face was charged with beauty as a cloud, with glimmering lightning. When it shadowed me, I shook and was uneasy as a tree that draws the brilliant danger tremulous bowed. So must I tempt that face to loose its lightning, great gods whose beauty is death will laugh above. Who made this beauty lovelier than love? I shall be bright with their unearthly brightening. And happier were if my sap consume, glorious will shine the opening of my heart. The land shall freshen that was under gloom. And what matter if all men cry aloud and start, and women hide bleak faces in their shawl? at those hilarious thunders of my fall. And what is the relevance of that Wilfred Owen poem to where we are now? Well, this poem was, was dated to this time, September, October 1916, and Wilfred had uh, come here to do some training, some musketry training, actually, because he was an ace shot, so he was probably giving the training. He was coming back, I can read you a little bit, if you like, about uh, when he wrote back to his mother. Uh, let me read from Dominic Hibbard's a biography of Wilfred. Rumours had been going round about an impending move north, and when the actual destination was announced, Wilfred wrote home delightedly, Oswestry! With four exclamation marks. <laughs> because Oswestry was where he was born. Was his, his native town, and he, he told his mother, you know, please stay in Oswestry, bring, bring your friends, and I think he was thinking, this may be the last time I see it. You know, I'm about to go out, which he did in December. He landed in New Year's Day in France. So this was the last time he saw his family, and I think it was the last time he thought he was going to see ever again. John, as we stand on this southeastern edge and we're looking down steep slope, then up a little rampart, down another, yeah. and then another. Yeah. These layers that are set up along the sides of the hill fort. Look beyond that and tell me about the own connection 
with the landscape beyond. Well, what we can see here is, is parkour camp, as was. I mean, now, of course, all the soldiers have left, but at its time, it was, it was a thriving military camp. Tens of thousands of men came through here. What you've got, basically, from 1915 to 1919, parkour being used as a training camp, and over 4,000 troops at any one time were here, stationed from various regiments, uh, the Cheshires, the Lancashires, so they needed space. They, you just couldn't put them in billets and say, get on with it, they needed to train. Uh, so between here and Park Hall, so we're looking at the southeastern section of the landscape, the, what we call the, the Hillport Hinterlands, would have been used as, uh, as a practice and training area. They were digging very deep trenches, both on top of the hill fort and also within the practice trenching areas around the hill fort. And so far we've identified at least three of those areas. And how did you discover them and, and how, what, do you know the extent of them? Yes, uh, we know from aerial photography or aerial filming that the trenches within inside the hill fort are quite extensive and they survive as, as very, very faint earthworks. Have any of the trenches been excavated? Well, this is a very interesting story because when Varley came here in 1939 to do the excavations, he did all his trenchings around the outskirts of the hill fort because there's probably live audience in the, in the trenches. Because they weren't just using the practice trenches to play battles, they're also using live mortar rounds as well. So it's more than likely within the hillfort and around the hinterlands there could be live ordnance. And for you, John, do you think of Wilfred Owen? You recited that poem, Standing Here Atop the Fort. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's very vivid for me that uh, as a young man, a young man of genius, really, that he was here taking it all in. And growing up here, this is where his, his imagination was forged, you know. So when I, I read his poetry, which is very global and universal, but also down on the ground and in the mud, I often think about this place. I'll tell you what's really interesting, is that when you come down off the plateau of the hill fort, where the Iron Age settlements would have been, and you come down, um, first of all I came down one of the ramparts and then into the trough and then up onto the edge of another rampart, it's the absolute change in atmosphere. So it is sheltered and the predominant sound is birdsong. It just feels like a completely different landscape and yet it is all one. And as I walk along this rampart, at one edge is about a 50-foot drop. And in front of me I have Sarah Gibson, who's with Shropshire Wildlife Trust, because these ramparts, the ditch and the rise, um, and the banks that are there, and create really interesting wildlife habitats. We've stopped on the edge, Sarah, here. Yes, this is where I saw um, a pair of yellow hammers yesterday. And the male is in full breeding plumage, gorgeous daffodil yellow and yellow hammers actually are doing really well up here in the ramparts which are rougher areas than the top because this area used to be woodland um, but apparently there are about two dozen pairs nesting in the ramparts of the hill fort it really is a very good place for them and also linnets linnets are doing really well up here another bird that's declining badly both of them and when you are looking for the, say, the yellow hammer, do you listen first? I do. I mean, I think most people know about the yellow hammer's song, a little bit of bread and no cheese. 
Um, so I was listening for that. I didn't actually hear that, but I did hear a shorter call, which I'm not even going to try to do. <laughs> and we've got the wonderful skylarks in the air all yes, the time. Yes, they're singing that all the time. There's mm. three or four pairs up on the top. Mm. Really lovely. When you come here, obviously you're standing and listening and watching, and then you want to be scurrying about looking through the, the, the undergrowth. I do, and there's actually a wonderful little beetle that you might see. Actually, it's not so very small a beetle. It's quite a big one. It's about an inch long. And this beetle is what It's type? called the violet oil beetle. Oh, what a very glamorous name. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the only place in Shropshire where it is known to exist. And it's quite a curious creature because it's a parasite. And what it does is once the eggs are laid and then they hatch... The larvae, where it's a little bit like a louse and a little bit like an earwig, and it climbs onto the back of a solitary bee and hitches a lift, and then the bee doesn't know it's there, and it flies back into the nest, and the little triangulin gets off, starts eating bee eggs and bee pollen and bee nectar. They've been described as like a fat man in a tailcoat. They are about an inch long, and that tapers to their tail. Their body tapers to their tail, and they're quite sort of plumped up looking. And about the colour of a piece of licorice. But they are, they're lustrous, so they reflect in gorgeous purples, greens and blues. From that description, they, they should be easy to spot. They should. But... They should be, but I think they are quite scarce. I've returned back to the south-east edge of the hill fort. It's such a glorious day and, and the view is so extensive across the flat farmlands and then up to the rolling hills beyond. And I've come here to meet Bill Klemperer, who is with Historic England. At this particular point, we've heard so much about the history of the fort and, and what the place means to people. So I want to find out more about the situation around the proposed housing development. So where, Bill, would the, the houses, if it was to go ahead, where would they be built exactly from where we are standing and looking down? If you look down into these fields now, you can see the initial sort of proposals we were looking at were, were presented to us. So all of these fields down here, between us and the main road down there, you can see in the distance, would have been filled with development. And we said, no, that's not appropriate. It's, it really will damage the overall significance of the hill fort because it would erode that sort of sense of the rural location. So eventually, we, we, we sort of pushed the ideas back to three sites. And if we look back towards the town, we can see the farm just below us, which is very close to the fort. And the, there was a proposal to develop that, change that from a farm to housing. And we thought that wasn't appropriate because it was too close. And the site to the, the right of that, you look down and see the horses in the fields mm -hmm. near a little road called Jasmine Gardens. We thought also that was inappropriate and we, had, we said we, we really don't like that and we're going to fight that one. And those two sites were taken out by the council and that left one site which is, uh, remains within the land allocation plan which is beyond both of those sites, further away across the B Road, partly behind those industrial buildings over there. In that corner, you can see the car showroom mm -hmm. and the industrial building. It's then the in that corner. That. Yes. Yeah. So that's about a quarter of a mile away, barely that. Yeah, something yes. like that. And how many so, houses are, are being proposed for that site? Well, at the moment, it's something over 100. 
but we recognise it's still a sensitive location, it's still mm-hmm. quite close. And so what we've said is that any development there should be subject to quite strict conditions. Things like a full archaeological survey, full design details, so that the impact on the hill fort is properly assessed and minimised. If, though, the proposals, if they do come forward, don't conform with those strict conditions, we will still object. But there is also a very strong chance that Historic England may accept them and housing development will appear, despite the immense local reaction against developing fields so close to the setting of the hill fort. We absolutely recognise local feelings about the setting of the hill fort and I think that's something that's to be welcomed. Of course, we're not at a planning application stage. There are no proposals for housing actually agreed. But it has but been accepted into the plan for development. Yeah, there is one site which remains within the site allocation and management of development plan for Shropshire, but it would need to be very carefully designed, and I think we're still a way off from accepting just a general housing development in that area. We asked Shropshire Council to perhaps join us here on the Hillfort but they declined that request but they have issued a statement and they say after considering a great deal of evidence from all parties including and this is the campaign group Hands Off Old Oswestry Hillfort and listening to all the arguments Inspector Claire Sherritt decided on balance that it was appropriate for the site to remain in the plan to help deliver much-needed housing in Oswestry and that this benefit outweighed the potential for harm to the hill fort and its setting. So, in this case then, is there a greater pressure on local authorities to build housing than there is to preserve heritage and in particular, a site like this? I think it's a balance, Helen, isn't it? We, we know there's pressure for housing, the length and breadth of the country. I think one of the fears that local people have expressed is perhaps this is the thin end of the wedge. And I understand that, we understand that. And we, we share the view that it would be inappropriate for there to be widespread development to the north of Oswestry, spreading up and wrapping around the hill fort. That would be very, very destructive. What this case has given us the opportunity to do is to really emphasise the importance of the hill fort, the importance of its setting, and to successfully diminish the proposals by a very significant amount. We know that there's uh, one site remaining, we know it's controversial, that's why we're going to look very, very carefully at the actual proposals when and if they do come forward. I've scaled the ramparts, I've run down into the trenches and now I've finally come back up onto the top again because here I am uh, once again with Rachel Pope and as you stand here, Rachel, what are your thoughts and your feelings about the mix between the ancient nature of this site and the modern pressures for people finding new homes in, in this beautiful part of Shropshire? It's a concern about the erosion of the setting of this monument. Once those houses are built, we can't unbuild them. You know, we can't gather back that bit of, of ancient landscape. And I think what everyone is concerned about is that this is a, a slow creep north for the town. And if it was only about 117 houses, there's plenty room in the whole of Shropshire for 117 houses. If you look over here to this side, Look, Oswestry is almost cheek by jowl with the monument. It's definitely creeping. Yeah. (laughs) So will it matter if there are a few more houses down there? Well, I think 
that's what we're trying to work out. I think that's what this is all about. Um, there are hill forts in, you know, there's one in Cardiff, there's one in Sheffield, Winkle Bank, where the urban sprawl is right up to the rampart. And I don't think it works. I don't think having housing estates around the rampart of the hill fort really preserves it as a hill fort anymore. It becomes somewhere you visit with the dog and it's a piece of green that services the town. And that, for me, I struggle with that because this is a site of huge importance for telling the story of our island. And I would like the people of Britain to show a little bit more respect for their ancestors, you know? This has got so many tales to tell. And once we start eroding this beautiful landscape around it, it's devalued. And that's what worries me. And if we can do it with old Oswestry, we'll do it everywhere.